0: gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on the Becoming Men podcast. This is still brought to you by thebecomingmen.com. I want to get right to today's show, but first I got to tell you, guys, I'm so thankful for you guys who have chosen to partner with us financially and create such a large global impact. Right now, this podcast is being listened to in 50 three different countries. Last time I checked was like earlier this month and it was only at 50. So we just added three countries in the last two weeks. I'm so appreciative of your support. I'm so appreciative of your faithfulness. Seriously. Thank you. If you want to become a part of this global impact, I want to invite you. Seriously, it's an invitation to sow seed into fertile soil and become a financial partner with Made to Reign Ministries. Made to Rain Ministries, if you didn't know, is the organization that Becoming Men is a part of. Now, you can do that by heading over to thebecomingmen.com forward slash partner. Again, that's thebecomingmen.com forward slash partner. I really appreciate all of your support and help. Thank you. I'm going to have you jump right into the middle of my conversation with Dan Hewn. Now, if you don't know Dan, he's the author of The Bible in 52 Weeks for Men. And I, I wonder if you can guess what that one's about. It is a year long Bible study companion for men that you can actually work through in a small group or even by yourself. Right now I'm working through Dan's book on my own, but if you guys are interested in starting a virtual Zoom Bible study and working through this book with me once a week, I, I, I would invite you guys to uh, just hit me up. Send me an email, Ray at rayatthebecomingmen.com. Again, that's Ray at rayatthebecomingmen.com. And just let me know, hey man, I'm interested. I'm just throwing this out there. If you're interested, let's do it. Let's find a a time and we can just dive in through the word and go through the Bible in one year together. What do you you guys think? How does that sound? You can't respond back, but I know a lot of you guys will uh, become a part of that. Now, Dan, aside from being an author, he's also privileged to have led a team to start the Village church in Baltimore, Maryland, with dreams of making God famous through a diverse and multicultural expression of the kingdom of God. And you're going to hear a lot of that here in this conversation. Today, Dan serves as an elder and a lead pastor at Village Church. He also works with the Send Network as the city missionary for Baltimore, serving urban churches, pastors, church planners. He regularly writes for Lifeway pastors and speaks on issues, including leadership urban ministry, justice, and church planning. Guys, I can't wait for you guys to listen to my conversation with Dan Hewn.
1: The decisions you make and earlier points in your life, uh, it does affect your future, even if you don't see it that day. And as much as you're able to make decisions, not just for the moment, not even for that year, but thinking of your long-term journey, including your legacy, including those beyond just your own life. And coming up on 50 now, I'm feeling wow, there's some stuff I wish I would have done differently at, say, 20.
0: You are hitting a nerve right now because I feel like God is speaking to me and to a lot of men about legacy. There's something about uh, everything that's going on in the world right now that leaves you wondering, like, is anything that I'm doing right now going to matter in the next 365 days? And for a lot of us, if we look back at 2020, uh, the answer was no. As, As 2021 rolled around, you're like, man, I was Pouring my life into something that really didn't matter a year later, but here you are telling me, you know, for maybe thirty years later, you're like that—that that didn't even matter. Um, so, I mean, what are some of those things that you that you think you would have done differently?
1: You know, we can get real spiritual and talk about that. I'll be on a real practical level, just even physical health, because I've been uh, in really bad shape my whole life and um, really abusive to my own body, and not just in the typically things we think of substances. That, I mean, that was a part of it, but just eating, exercise, and Uh, You know, we had talked about it before my daughter got ill last year, and I, I would say God's in his providence right around that same time I got some news about my own physical health that I was just not on a good trajectory. I remember my wife saying, Hey, I cannot afford you to get sick at the same time right now as our daughter. You need something needs to change and it was a wake up moment for me. So the past year and a few months have been really a total overhaul in how I view my physical health. But part of that, and I try not to live in regret, is realizing, man, some of this stuff would have been a lot easier back when I was 20 or even 30. Um, So I think examples like that, realizing everything that you do, it does count in some way.
0: I spoke to a colonel couple months ago. And he said, you know, everybody says that I would do anything to trade shoes with you to go back in time and and be in your shoes. And he said, that's actually not the truth. What Mm -hmm. you really mean is I would do anything to go back in time to where you are now with the wisdom I have now. (laughs) So it's not any, it's not just going back in time. And I I wonder, you know, we have these experiences and we think, man, if I just would have, but like, be honest here, would you even have listened to yourself?
1: And I think that, I mean, I think you're hitting on something there. Some of our growth comes from a uh, school of hard knocks, having to learn. I'm a hard-headed, stubborn, hopefully a little more sanctified now, but uh, I probably wouldn't have listened. Right. But I think it's trying to even learn from those things. One yeah. thing we can't, we can't change the past. So that's where I was saying, I try not to live in that regret and sit there too long, but how is it going to dictate how, I, what I do have ownership is what I can do with today and moving forward and learn those things. So I might not be 20 anymore, but I'm what I am. So what can I do now to make a difference and not say, well, what, what does it even matter? There's always another day to start.
0: You don't just become the man like you are continuously becoming the man that God needs you to be that God created you to be and God created you to be something different in your 20s than what he created you to be in your 30s because the responsibility that's coming in your 40s is you know it's just
1: that is so good and um, I've got actually a life coach who walked me through something a few years ago cuz I felt a little bit of that regret uh getting older I'm like man I wish I knew some of this when I was a younger guy um when I had more physical strength because the reality is we just and he he talked about limits as men that one of God's kindness to us, it doesn't feel kind, it feels almost severe, but it is a mercy that as we get older, we experience certain limits just on even our physical right. energy. Right. But but you imagine if hopefully we're growing in wisdom, we know more and more, but you combine that with like unlimited physical able to do whatever, some of us could be real monsters. Yeah. But it's oh, God's mercy absolutely. upon us as we grow in wisdom and intelligence and knowledge we also experience some natural physical limitation or wow. just loss. And, but it's way of it's God's way of drawing us close to him and saying, you need, me. you really need me. Yeah. You'll look smarter than you were a couple of decades ago, but man, you see how tired you are now. You need, me.
0: <laughs> I needed you to slow yeah. down just about that much. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's good. Wow. That is so good. You know, just hearing some of your story, I I can see where some of this is coming from. Um, By the way, you're like the third person this week that I've interviewed that's talked about having a life coach, having Mm -hmm. somebody that came alongside you. So important. Um, But maybe it didn't sound like that's what you had early on in life. Uh, could Could you talk about that time a little bit?
1: Yeah, I, I would say for me, um, I'm the son of immigrants from Korea. And, um, you know, my mommy and daddy, Oma and Appa were tremendous. You know, they love loved the Lord and they raised me well. But uh, one thing i and just some of this comes from therapy, which is really, again, I'm a big proponent of that. Helping to dig out stuff that would be difficult on my own is realizing how a lot of those early days did for me. Um, so my, my Appa, my daddy, tremendous man, my hero. But there was a language barrier. So there were just certain things in our family, I just learned I can't talk about these things. So as a young man, you can imagine all that you're trying to process who you are. Uh, I was born in the US, but I always felt like a perpetual outsider culturally. So how do you navigate those things? And then you add on just the normal challenges that any young man is going through. Uh, what it led me down a path was of a, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration for me, a lot of very destructive kind of habits. And I wish that I would have had some men to be able to tell me, Hey, this is some of this is actually pretty normal. Some of this is leading you down a bad path here. Let me walk with you. You need to talk with anyone. You got my phone any, any time of day you call me. Cause I feel like that was, I had friends. I don't think I really had that uh, presence in my life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and there's so much to unpack there, unpack that there, because one of the reasons I was so drawn to your story is because, you know, we're similar in that we were both uh, immigrants uh, from or had parents who are immigrants uh, from outside the country. I myself was born outside the country uh, and came here at a very young age, uh, young enough to forget a bit, but old enough to remember a lot. Uh, so I was seven years old and I remember, you know, holding my green card and being told that I'm different and not being not with using those words but specifically pointing out that, you know, at any point this little green card can disappear and I could go back to my country, you know, of any little miss, uh, mess ups. And so you could imagine a young man internalizing that and saying, Oh, I, I can't do this. You know, I remember graffitiing something on the floor and it just immediately escalates to like, do you want to go back to your country? Right? Like that, those were the threats inside of uh, my mind. And I bring that up because I think these are challenges that aren't really discussed. You know, these are things that these are pain points that exist, but maybe we don't have the language to bring them out. And so I want to talk to those uh, guys that maybe have heritages from outside the country, have parents who uh, who were from outside the country. And they're the firstborn here um, as you were and really bring up like what this does to the masculine heart. And one of the things that you brought up was language barrier. But when there's a language barrier between you and the generation that came before you and your father can't actually pass down everything that he wants to, and you can't bring up all of these pain points that you're experiencing. I'm wondering, what, what does that do? What gets lost in translation?
1: Yeah, I think, man, that's that's such an incredible line of thinking, Ray. Uh, my So my, uh, my oppa, he passed a few years ago in 2017. Wow, that's coming up in four years. It feels like it was just yesterday. And some of the processing afterwards was wishing, just as we all might. Uh, and I had, a, I would say I had a really good relationship with him, but feeling like there's a lot that I didn't know. And as I was starting to process my own journey, especially uh, where I am, I wish I had someone to just let me know what they went through and what they did. And what it creates in us is almost a sense of homelessness, I would describe relational homelessness. Like we don't really know where we fully belong. And I think uh, even in America now, maybe it's a whole generation of, I would say, men and women. We're kind of trying to figure out what's our identity, where where do we fit? And. Uh, I think without the presence of others, and that's one reason I encourage everyone, um, you know, look to those who can invest in you, but who's also coming behind you that you can. And some of us, we think we got nothing to offer. I'm like, I guarantee you there's someone who's looking to you and they can receive something from you. Because from my experience, a lot of men, they sit in this place of anger or frustration of what we didn't get. And that's real. We've got to come to grips with that. But again, what can we learn from that, that we try to move, not move on, but try to process, I think, but also in a redemptive way, what can I now pass on to others that I wish I would have maybe had fully myself? Um, So that's one thing I've tried to take to heart because there's a lot of pain involved with that. We just and especially we can compare ourselves to others and we see pictures or movies or stories. And I'm like, Man, why didn't I have that? I got the short end and just realize God has given each one of us a journey. It's no better or no worse. But um, we do have to own that life, but bring it before the Lord. And then ask, how am I going to take this and now create a new story with it in God's plan?
0: Yeah. Wow. Such key terms there, you know, creating a story or even just being aware that you are living in a story. And ultimately, the best story writer just happens to be the creator of the entire story. uh, God. So if you're not referencing the real author, you're uh, at at a very disadvantaged uh, standpoint, because ultimately you're going to be looking for your story in a very, very small, insignificant uh, plot point or in in a plot uh, that involves just you. you know, a lot of times, guys end up being the center of their own story.
1: Well, now, I think, and you know, kind of specifically on that, for me as an Asian American, I think part of the challenge for me was navigating. Um, and I think it's changed a little bit into larger American culture, but I remember growing up feeling to be Asian American was not very masculine.
0: You know, you're kind
1: of looked down upon as weak or uh, effeminate or whatever uh, the stereotypes might have been. So, um, probably, you know, that created me a certain rage within me, like, I'm going to press into strength and I'm going to show people what true strength is. And obviously it was not a biblically formed one. Yeah. And that's where I look back, uh, even to have some role models or mentors or, or men and women who could, orient. here's what it means not to glory in yourself, but to also see how God has made you and wired you. That is a, a good thing. You're not an accident. You're not less than. Yeah, yeah. Um, what does it mean to be redeemed in the Lord in the unique ways he's wired, even as a an Asian American man, which I don't think I had ever really come to grips with.
0: Wow. Wow. And I actually want to get to how some of that anger and frustration that you talked about, those destructive habits, how they manifested. But just to piece something together, you had said you felt like a perpetual outsider. And with that, I'm tying in those pieces of comparison that you that you had made, because. I remember looking at the, you know, the picket fence, white house uh, or the white picket fence, you know, nice house family with two cars in the garage and a dog. And I'm like living in an apartment with three sister, you know, three siblings, my parents, and like, we don't do anything together. We are not your typical family. So there was a comparison, which made me feel like a perpetual outsider. And then there was exactly what you said, just not feeling very masculine, Right. Again, another thing keeping me outside, like there's just something about me that's not jiving with this common cultural idea of what a man is supposed to be, because I have heritages, I have different thought patterns, I have different habits from my culture that keep me from being able to make those comparisons. So it that comes, there comes the, the anger, the frustration. Uh, Would you agree with that? And then if you could follow that up just with how that manifested in your life.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, you know, I think about your story, right? Coming from the Dominican, it's like obviously it's a there's strong images of what it means to be a man in the culture there. That's undeniable. But when you place that within the larger American culture, and you don't see, for whatever people want to say about, um, you know, uh, just its tokenism or whatnot, there is a reality of who you see with voices of authority or leadership. Yeah, if yeah. you commonly see people who are talking about what it means to be a man or what it means to be a responsible, but you don't see anyone that looks like you, you start to just embody a sense, well, who I am must not be very fill in the blank. I've got to be like that. Um, and, you know, that's one of the things. And sometimes I get in trouble for talking about it. But I think even in the larger Christian world, I'm a big proponent, uh, Not again, not for tokenism's sake, but to celebrate the larger design of God's work, I Man, I, I got to be honest, when I saw that you were leading a podcast like this and to see a man and a very decorated man of color engaging in this work, I get excited about that because we need more of those things. We need more impressions, especially for younger people to say, hey, wow, look at that guy. That's about as man as you get. And he loves Jesus and he's leading other men. Man, I have not seen that before. Or if I And, you know, and just it, it, it makes a difference. So I love yeah. what you're doing.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Um, I picked up you saying uh, you, you don't see anyone who looks like you uh, and, and the, some of the confusion that happens there. Here's an example. Everybody in the Dominican Republic inherently is just really good at baseball, or so it seems. <laughs> I'm like decent at baseball. I could play, but like I was a really good wrestler. Mm. Let me tell you how many colored wrestlers or were on my team in small white suburbia edison new jersey (laughs) there Mm. were there were maybe like three uh one of them left so there was two and we had a team of over 40 you could imagine the mis like even just a parent in the stand you go to another town and you just see the representation of this sport is definitely not in the minorities or people that look like me. So do I even belong here? And I was, up as a very talented wrestler, but somebody, something inside of me was like, that's not really where I fit in. So, um, I actually got kicked off my eighth grade wrestling team because I missed regionals because it was the same day as my Spanish salsa dancing night. Mm. <laughs> I never pieced this together, but I, I decided to go to this Spanish like heritage and salsa dancing night that our school was putting on because for some reason that just jived with me in a place where I needed it to. Whereas like wrestling, I had a lot of success. I was really good. I was expected to be there, but I was like, something is just drawing me towards this. You, you get what I'm saying?
1: Well, man, you're, you are hitting such amazing, amazingly deep topics there because I, that's where, and you know, i um, part of my ministry and my values are being cross-cultural and you know even in our church and the the vision we have is to be a reconciling church so i love not being feeling like you can only reach certain kind of people Um, but the reality is that's you're highlighting the importance of having some people that can identify with particularities of who you are Yes, because the reality in majority culture, someone's going to look at you and, and saying, I really need to go to this event that's going to help me to mm-hmm. fully flesh out some of my heritage. I love wrestling, but this is also who I am. If you're not in that world, you're gonna like, what's wrong with you, right? You know, yeah. you, and to have some people say, I get you, right? I see you. I've been there. I hear you. I know the pain that not everyone else in this in our culture can recognize right now because I know what you're going through Yeah, and, and to walk with you in that. And I think it's just such an uh, important piece, even in our church. Um, I again, I love everyone in our church, but having a fairly diverse population, even ethnically, one of the things I love is young, a growing population of young Asian American men in our church, because for some of them, they've never seen an Asian man who's leading a group that doesn't wow. look like all Asians. Yes. And it, and again, I, I don't think you can fully understand that unless you're in that pocket, but they like to see other people who are not Asian submitting to the leadership of someone who's Korean American. It's like for them, for some of them, it's the first time they've ever seen that. Yeah. And just being reminded God has created us. None of us are an accident. It might look different than what everyone else around us is. That's not right. bad. We have something to bring that maybe... Has not been fully fleshed out before, and uh, and to press into that.
0: Yeah, I used to think that it was a noble thing to say. You know, there's I only see one color in boot camp. I was told uh, there's only one color in the Marine Corps. That's green. You're either light green, dark green, or green. That's all you see. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You know, and I kind of used that little slogan for a little bit, and then I realized, no. No, that's actually not, God did not create green, light green and dark green, right? Like he created each and every single one of us, the ways that he did with our inherent, uh, you know, isms inside of us. Like this is a manifestation of his goodness from a different lens. You know, in Ephesians, it says like God has a multi-dimensional wisdom. So if you like look at a diamond and you turn it one degree to the left, like you're going to see a completely different image than you did a second ago. You know what I'm saying? So now like there's people that say, you know, I just see one color. It's like, what does it matter if you're black or white? It's like, no, it does matter because we are all individuals, all part of one body, but we are individuals and you should appreciate that. You should uh, uh, not glorify that, but you should elevate that. And and let it have its honor. What do you think?
1: No, absolutely. And I'm preaching on Ephesians three this week, so it's fresh in my mind exactly what you're talking about. And that that's yeah. a. I think um, some of these these conversations about um, exploring our ethnic background or it, it can become a very self focused thing. And I think some of that's not inappropriate. We need to learn who we are and flesh that out apart from others, but. You know, it's always in tune with others as well. So when we're yeah. talking about the uniqueness, who we are, it's not just for us to celebrate that, which like, again yeah, is great. God made us that way.
0: Yeah.
1: But it, what you are talking about, we are going to bring to others some aspect of life and God that they would not be able to see otherwise. Wow. Like what, what Ray is going to be able to bring, even in, say, a context like the military, is a perspective on what you do. And you need that unity. I mean, you can't be a you can't be a soldier without a certain sense of unity. Like, yeah. you can't have everyone just off running. Out. There's got to be a certain sense that does unifies but celebrating the diversity within that unity, because you are gonna bring in a perspective that maybe others don't have, and that's gonna improve them. That's gonna give them bigger eyes for the majesty of God and the life that God has placed before them. So in that way, I think it's a communal sense, you know. and in Western culture, it's sometimes hard because we're so individualistic, but think I'm part of a larger tribe, larger family, and God has made me the way I am, not just for me, but also to benefit others. So press into that. You got to say these things. You got to put it out there. You got to lead not just for folks who might be like you, but for others who may be very different than you, because this is yeah. going to help them to grow.
0: Yeah, and seeing that value in yourself, knowing that this is this is valuable, this is good, this is important. So good. I, I guess maybe the only thing left to do then is to just like let's get practical. Uh, what are some of the things that you're highlighting in your church and your sphere that it, that are you know, these stepping stones that we can start to begin to walk on to be able to get to a more reconciled church.
1: Yeah, I think part of it, uh, for me, at least, and I'm, maybe it's just different because I got a hard heart, but this stuff is this was hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in our culture right now, it's hard to actually yeah. talk about being unified because if we're honest, you see a lot of people like, yeah, I don't want to be unified with them because they're crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're like, nah, you know, along all all you know, all forms of the spectrum. It's like, why would I want to be? And I think this is the particular thing, even in our church, we talk about, if we do this correctly, the the thing is we try to live in reconciliation. We try to be with people different than us. We try to actually not just gather together, which is great, but it's, but become family, like sit across from dinner tables together, share lives. Like, Marry some people who might not have been part of your tribe before and create a whole all those things. If we do it correctly, it's going to say I can't do this on my own strength. Yeah, Uh, man, it's bringing out a lot of anger, frustration. People are nuts. They're they're stubborn. They got all this. They say the dumbest things, but it's all sanctifying because it brings us. Oh, Jesus, thank you for reminding us again why you say you're the head of the church. We cannot even have a hope to try to do this without your power at work. That's the great mystery, that grace that Mm -hmm. is needed. Uh, So I talk about, say, the reconciling church, not just as a destination, and, you know, in American church, usually we look at it, what we're trying to go to a goal. How do we yeah. get diversity is great. But it's a journey that God invites yeah. us into, to hone us and to make us more like him, because the best way we become more like Jesus. is so when we're around people who don't agree with us, who are not like us, who are very different, who look at the world in ways you're like, seriously, that, like and you're and you're a Christian, like all those things. God shows us, yeah, this is why you still need the Lord.
0: That is uh, very relevant in case you didn't know. I'm going to go ahead and time this podcast. But as of, you know, the recording of this podcast, we are going through a huge uh, debacle on whether we should have vaccines and vaccine Mm -hmm. mandates and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, people in the body, the person sitting next to you at church, it has a completely different worldview. And for some reason, like we are unified under one, one building. Uh, we should be, uh, and not just a physical building, but just under one body. Uh, so well, yeah, that, absolutely.
1: And I think you you're hitting on something pretty significant. There is it doesn't mean we shy away from real conversations because I yes. think people sometimes have a view of unity as if you're doing it right, you shouldn't have any more debate. Actually, because uh, I have very strong opinions on things like vaccines, and some of that's with our family situation. Part of it's my wife's an epidemiologist, so I've got real strong opinions. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, how can I engage in discourse with people that still honors them, still respects them, still in love, can tell them I think you're absolutely wrong, and here's why. Right. To say we're still family, um, right. and I think that that again that requires a certain maturity that I believe is a Christ-likeness that God forms in us from pressing in with some people who are out of our echo chamber that forces us to have to and be able to identify, well, here, actually, here's why I do think you're wrong and be able to still love them in the midst of that. And some people might say that's impossible. Um, I don't know. I I think it's worth the effort. And again, the process that God uses that through to, to mold us more into his image, to die to ourselves. And that's just, if you would say my philosophy for men and maybe this is why I won't get invited to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, we all die. I mean, that, that's what it is. We <laughs> got to die.
0: I'm
1: not that complex. We've got to die to ourselves.
0: I put out a post yesterday on Instagram uh, where I just said, hey, th- you know, there's this simple truth that every man has to come to a realization about. Uh, for some, it comes early because it was intentionally taught and they have lived with fewer regrets. For, com- for some, it comes later in life and they're in their deathbed with full of regrets. Um, but for most of us, it comes somewhere in the middle where we have enough time to make a difference, to make a change. We still have some regrets, but that, that statement or that truth is this, it's, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. And the sooner you realize that, the less regrets you're going to have, and the more time you're going to have to move forward and take a different action. Uh, it's not about you. It's not about your worldview. It's not about just what you think. Um, and, and you know, just uh, go back on something that you said, Dan. I will... Take ownership of this. For my generation, we are not good at having proper discourse. Because you know what I'm going to do? As soon as you disagree with me, go ahead say it to the camera, jerk. You know. And I'm. This is going on TikTok now. You want to disagree with me? You know, like that. That's what we resort to to ridiculing um, and to lower levels of, um, of you know proper discourse. Because either a it wasn't taught, or b we are completely terrified of that other person who holds another worldview because if they're right, that means I'm wrong. (laughs) Mm. Mm. What do you think?
1: No, I I would agree. And, um, I think that's one of the reasons why I'm a big proponent. You need local community, um, Obviously, my perspective in a local church, a local congregation, because, you know, I tend to be on places like social media and, you know, part of that's my ministry. So I think there's a value in that. I think there's even genuine relationship in that. But a lot of the conversations that need to happen that God will use to grow us as long as much as it's on a big picture that it also needs done with real people, with real consequences of what those words produce. Like, you've got to be able to have people. Yeah, let's get into some of this hard stuff but we actually got to still see each other and live with one another. And how do we do that? Again, it's an invitation to the presence of the spirit to do something that in our flesh, we don't want to do. Why would I want that? That's miserable. Um, But it's a reminder that in the local church, one of the reasons we go to church is not just to do all these things for our benefit, which is good, really good, but it's to be reminded, uh, particularly in a a, a multicultural church like ours, there's gonna be some stuff here that just does not jive with what you like. You know, in yeah. a world of kind of attractional consumeristic church, the multicultural church is almost like the opposite of it. I Like, mean, yeah, join a place where you're not going to get that song sung the way that you've always been used to, and people talked away. You know, but yeah. you're there because you believe in the larger mission, and you also believe that that process of walking with others in that way—it's God's way of of. Protecting you from yourself. Like that's, we're all born with the desire to glorify ourselves. You know, if we go to the essence of sin, it's to elevate ourselves, make ourselves king. And Jesus, it's not trying to punish it. He actually is good. This is why it's good news. He wants to free us from the fallacy that life will be fully uh, lived out in its best form if you worship yourself. And that's the message our world tells us, but Jesus, he's a good king. He wants to free us, say, you know, you're actually going to experience the most wholeness, the most joy, the most fulfillment when you learn that life comes through death. So this is not even a masochistic, punish yourself. That's not what this is about. It's like deny yourself, give up yourself, sacrifice, learn that it's not about you, but for the sake of really achieving life the way it was meant to be, which is honoring God and pouring into other people. And in that, you will
0: experience this abundant life.